This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. I'm Brad Pinvidic. I'm a television producer and an author, and I guess I call it a best-selling author now, yay for me. Um, and I speak and do a lot of consulting with companies now. What I love about content is it can transport me to any emotion that I'm in the mood for. Whether that's music or video or movies, whatever I'm in the mood to feel, I know a piece of content can take me there. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business. Conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Mark Rako. I'm one of the co-founders of Mouth Media Network that produces this show. And I, I'm sitting in in place of uh, Natasha and Amber, who both unfortunately can't be a part of this. But lucky for me, I can. And I'm here with my good friend and our host, uh, Ritesh Gupta. Hey, Ritesh. How are you doing? I'm great. Did you hear that? Like, I forgot your name for a I second. I did. I did. I, I don't love know what it. happened. I, I call it the dramatic pause. It was. It was a dramatic pause. You know, technically, we could edit that out, but I'm keeping it no, in just to show the real behind the scenes, behind People the curtain have stuff. Breath. That's what it is. Anyway, welcome everybody. Uh, we have a really, really great show here uh, with us. Of course, is Brant. You heard him just a moment ago, and we just can't wait to dive in more. Brant, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. We're we're glad very to be excited. a part of your 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 New York moment while yeah. you're, you're in New York as you tour the. Do do your big tour. Yeah, it was been, it's been a, <laughs> a bit of a whirlwind, but uh, uh, it's been fun. It's really interesting. So uh, I, I like to start with this since we're, we're talking about content. A lot of times, content is it can be storytelling. Uh, it really is storytelling in a way, but uh, but it, but it's also about you know sending a message, and um, a, a, along with a lot of other things. You described yourself, author, speaker. Um, you help brands. You do all these yeah. things. But what are you actually? If you're really just one thing, and I like you to draw a line between whatever it is that you are and, right. and content. So, I mean, effectively I've been a content creator for my whole career. Like that's what I've done is tried to sell content, try to make content, try to move content to the masses through digital or traditional media. That's been what I've done. But as I've transitioned out of that business, I'm now someone who helps people with their content. I'm I'm someone who helps people get their content so other people can understand it. And no. in the world today, content takes all different forms. And what I try to do is help people like you can get your message across. I can help you make it. I can help you make that happen. You know, I'm excited to sit down again with someone on the show who's – we've only done it a couple of times – who sat in a variety of chairs connected to content, yeah, making it, selling it. Yeah. You know, helping. But but a comment we do, we do hear from time to time is ah, content such an overused word or an incorrectly used word. Um, and I'm not picking on you for having used the word. I asked you the question. Yeah. but. Do you have an opinion on that? Do you have a thought about that? What you know? Because there, we seem to hear that growing, that growing opinion. Well, listen, you could make up a different word if you want; It doesn't change what it is. But the the problem is people using content and the definition of that to what isn't content. Your promotional material is not content. Okay, content is something you do for someone else, not for yourself. 
and what you find on social media and, and most of the places now and a lot of the video and a lot of digital stuff is people want to make promotional videos or content and they they think and they treat it like it's valuable content for others and it's not it's promotional for you and as the audience has become more cynical and hypersensitive to this like they know right away and so that's why someone in my position who listen i i made television at the highest level and i would watch these youtube stars and i was baffled how do they do this it's because when they were on vine when vine was a thing they were making actual content for other people that people found interesting. They weren't overproducing it. They weren't overcooking it. They weren't trying to make themselves something. They were trying to make you laugh and entertain you. And that's what they did so well. And it was kind of like and what I did and my group started to do in my community is we started to make content that we wanted to make and that we thought maybe you should like. And it just like that's that undermined what we were doing. It's interesting to hear you talk about this because all I can think of when you're talking about this is all the people out there, let's say on Instagram, who the majority of their Instagram feed is pictures of themselves. Yeah. Um, and whether or not you think that's amazing or not, you look at the number of people who are interacting with that, th those pictures and th those those posts and of course, there's brands out there going, well, that seems to be working. So I want to do that because that will make people look at our stuff. How do you communicate to brands and say, yeah, I know there's a lot of people that like that, but that won't work for you. And here's why. Well, the first thing I, I – and I talk to a lot of brands about this and I have an entire social media sort of keynote thing that I do. But the biggest thing is, is that somehow we got the word influence and the influencer. And it's like they don't have influence. It's not the way it works. Influence doesn't matter about the platform. Oprah influenced people before social media. The Backstreet Boys or NSYNC used to have hundreds of thousands of people show up outside their hotel room. No social media. If Selena Gomez, with her 139 million followers, could open a movie, she'd be the biggest movie star in history. If she get 1% of those followers to show up. But the fact, and those people are going to a movie anyways. You can't make them go to your movie? The answer is no. Because the people that are consuming on social media don't view it the way you want to. You want them to feel like you have influence and then you post stuff. And we've been, we've blasted that everywhere. Nobody is fooled by that. And today you can't even tag people and like have people rush to it. I've had lots of like my quote unquote celebrity friends tag me. And it's not like it was four years ago where it's like, oh, someone was tagged. I got to go follow them. It's like, no one cares. And it's, so hard for people and brands to understand that. And it's like your, your social media kind of does one of two things, right? You either give genuine content where that's why uh, like a meme site will get a lot of interaction. It's like there's no personality to it, but it's just funny memes. So you that's content. Or you tell a story with your social. Now, if you look at my social media or my Instagram, like I don't do a lot of content. It's a lot of promotion. It's kind of about me and what I'm doing, but it's because every post is curated together to tell you the story of what I want you to think about me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm okay with that because that's what I'm doing. It's a Yellow Pages ad. It's a billboard. It says, I wrote a book, which if you follow me on social media, you definitely know that by now. And it's like, I wrote a book. I'm a TV producer. I live here. I do these fun things. I have an animal rescue. Like, it tells the story of me. So when I post something, it's not because I want to share content with you. It's because, oh, I think this adds to my story, my persona, what I want you to think. 
because like my mom posts right. content for, for, for our family. Cause that's all she cares about is, you know, but I post stuff for the general public to think something about me. I would argue that the amalgamation of all of the posts that you do, that, 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 that whole big recipe itself is a piece of content. Sure. You could argue that. So I don't know if I would agree with that a hundred percent, but you enough. could argue that. Fair enough. Yes. Thanks for that. It's, uh, it's, it's a big promotion. <laughs> it really is a big promotion. Like it's, it's not for other people's benefit. It's for mine. Yeah. And, and like, yes, some people are so like, I have a lot of fans. They're wildly entertained with what I put out there, but it, it's, they're more entertained with my, my Instagram stories than they would be my Instagram actual account. Cause Instagram stories, that's actually real content. Like I'm sharing mm-hmm. interesting things. I'm talking about stuff. I'm like, I'm interacting. That's a big difference is like, that's for them and my actual pages for me. Mm-hmm. And that I find is the delineation between content and promotion. It's interesting to hear somebody who's made a living and a, you know, built a brand on through social media, be so refreshingly honest about truthfully what it's yeah. about and the difference between promotion and actual content. Um, so when you are advising your clients and your, you know, first of all, who are your clients? And when you advise, when you sit down to advise them, you know, what do you, how do you, how do you get them to see sort of between what they should be doing and what they are doing? It listens hard. I, I do a lot of like, um, like CEOs, executives, corporations that are looking to sort of tell their story mm-hmm. more effectively. They mm-hmm. have something usually that they feel is very complex mm-hmm. and that people just kind of don't get it. And if they could explain it properly, people would have to be interested, right? That's sort of the, that's, I'd say that's the base of my really core client. That's like, Oh man, I, I got you like that. I know how to fix you. And then a lot of times what they want to figure out is how to get out to the world. Right. And they, they see social media as this, huge weapon of promotion that they should they 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 feel like they're missing out on it because everybody else is having the greatest time and winning and what's crazy is is that they don't view it as a legitimate advertising tool in its traditional sense like if they're going to buy ads that's different but like <clears throat> and what I say to everybody's like hey if this was 20 years ago you'd have a budget for a yellow pages ad And your yellow pages ad, the size and the scope of that ad would tell people exactly what you want to say about your company. If you're a law firm and you had a little tiny ad with just your name, tells people what big, how big your law firm is. If you have a half page ad with all your details and pictures of your lawyers, like you're telling your audience how big your, your, how big your law firm is, what kind of clients you kind of want, maybe even what kind of price range you're going to be in. Right. And social media is effectively just the new Yellow Pages ad now. That's a great way. That is, that is a really, really and they, interesting analogy. And they don't, companies don't look at it like that. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. let me get this straight. You think Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are going to let you for free just publicize your business and market your business? Like, that's insane. And that's not the way it works. And so now it's like, hey, let's look at your social media strategy as a billboard, as a Yellow Pages ad. And you have to maintain like that. Like, what do you want people to think about your company? Don't worry about putting stuff out for them to consume. They're not watching your stuff. It's when they want to find something out about you and they click on you. What does it say? The Yellow Pages analogy is such a good way to bridge the past. People who think, you know, people who 
haven't caught up to today, but give it in a way that comforts them, right? It's the chicken soup. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's the new Yellow Pages. I love that. It's the first time I've ever heard that. Um, my qu- uh, a, th- a question I have for you is you've obviously had a successful run on the linear side, yep. right, in terms of television. But here we are talking about digital content. Where do you focus more of your time and what – you know? What's your take on linear versus digital and where to sort of be positioning yourself? I mean, listen, the honest truth is linear is so easy, comparatively speaking, to digital. The problem with digital is- Why? Because you're dealing directly with the audience. And the audience is fickle and strange and unpredictable, and I have no idea what they do. No idea what they want. I can't understand it. When I would sell a show and it didn't rate, I had 46 other people to blame. And 76 other reasons and four network executives that don't know either. And we all would be like, well, I guess that one didn't work. Let's spend $11 million on another one. Right. And it's like, you got in a comfort zone. There's an, is there sort of like an ecosystem that builds television and that media. And so we would roll the dice and what we thought worked based on what happened before and what I think would be kind of cool. And like, I really wasn't accountable to the general public because I mean, it's Nielsen. Nielsen is giving us ratings, which is a completely bogus, ridiculous system. But we all played by the same rules. It's like being in the castle with the moat around it and the drawbridge is up. Hey, well, you know, we're all in here. Let's just keep playing. So, but the truth was, I didn't know how many people were watching. I had no gauge on their interaction. It was all phony. And it's wildly lucrative for everybody connected to it. So off we went. I'm going to challenge you on that, though. Let's take digital. Yeah, because Nielsen's a great thing to point out in linear and, and traditional, uh, in terms of a metric for success. How do you define success on digital? Because is it likes? Is it shares? Is it comments? You can buy views. Is it views? So what is? How do you define success in in terms of a piece of content in this digital atmosphere and landscape? So let's not talk about it in the sort of like right this moment with the chaos of it, but mm-hmm. in in the in the general theory of it, mm-hmm. it is interactions and sort of following and gaining in, in pop culture fame. And that's why PewDiePie or the Logan Paul, like they gained that from creating content, from putting it out digitally. But what was so spectacular about that, and I always respect it, is that they dealt directly with an audience. They had to do that well. King Batch is a really good friend of mine. It's like, I don't find the stuff he used to, like I don't, I don't know why my kids fell in love with that. Like I think he's super talented, but it didn't make me laugh. I wasn't the audience. But he knew how to speak to the audience. And I used to get anxiety about it as a producer. It's like, I don't think I could do that. Like, I don't think I could make a viral video. And I make, like, movies and TV at the highest level. I can't make one go viral. Like, what the hell? And it's because there's a direct interaction. Yes, it's all phony baloney now, and it's really hard to categorize. But it's not that hard. You can buy views in a few videos. But, like, you know, it it comes out. It comes out who's rising because all every every boat you have in the water starts to rise right and it's just weird that dealing directly with the public is really hard to do mm-hmm. and so when someone does it really well at a super high level like that's an amazing skill so for a brand yeah who essentially will be dealing directly with the public yeah Instead of going through a network. I mean, I understand they may work with an ad agency and then the ad agency works with the, the television network or the display company or whatever right. it is. But but really, ultimately, they're just go-betweens. They're, right? Yes. Okay. 
how can a brand I, I realize I'm getting to your secret sauce and <laughs> your your keynotes and all that. So trying to navigate around that and just give some answer. Yeah, give, no, I, I give it all. I, I, I give it all. No I appreciate, problem. but I I respect. I respect. Yeah. Uh, how would you suggest brands think about what you just said? How can they adjust the way they think about the content that they need to produce in order to to align with yeah. that enlightened thinking? There's sort of three elements, I would say. The first is you need a shotgun strategy, which, which means, is yeah. just put it everywhere. Throw every piece of spaghetti on every piece of wall you got because no one knows what's really going on out there right mm -hmm. now. That's A, right? Mm -hmm. Number two is you have to split your, call it your budget or your time or your energy or the number of things you do down two lanes. Lane number one is what I would call actual content, something that people would find interesting or funny without trying to promote yourself, right? Like, what's mm -hmm. that? That's one piece. That's a, that's a funny ad or whatever they do. I got that. But the other piece is you need to spend your money and your energy and your time on your digital yellow pages. It's not just one spot. It used to, like yellow pages was, there's only one of them. Now there's a hundred different areas to find out information about you. Most of your clients, most of your customers, most of the people are going to find you. It's almost impossible to put something out there and have it run around and find people. And I have to explain to people about social media. It's like, you know, all the people that follow you don't see every post you put up, right? Like right. it doesn't work like that. And most people now on these social media networks are out there to try to get other people to look at them. They're not out there scrolling around looking for their own interests. They're trying to figure out how to make you look at them. And so what you really want to do is have your online persona and everything about you be as awesome as your real life persona. Mm -hmm. And if you're a brand or a company, the last thing you want is to be spectacular and dominant and amazing in real life and actual, but in online look sort of second rate. And what's really funny is, is Facebook and Instagram has tapped into that insecurity so brilliantly where they make brands and companies feel so nervous about having their accounts look so small and they don't have any followers. They're not mm -hmm. getting clicks. And it's like, they're going to, people are going to assume mm -hmm. that they're not good because you don't have a great social media following. Mm -hmm. So that gets you to break out your checkbook and write some ads mm -hmm. and get them. And they've tapped into that insecurity on a brand level mm -hmm. kind of brilliantly. Yeah, it's interesting though. Well, it's interesting you say that with Instagram going away from like, the like button will go the way that way to battle the insecurity that the consumers are feeling not being up to snuff, right? So in terms of your focus, do you, I mean, what's your preference? Because you have such a, uh, a great storied background in linear television. Have you sort of moved away from that? And I, I have a little bit just because when the book came out and, and I did so much work in the business side, I started to really find that that's where my passion is. The book, The Three-Minute Rule. The book, The Three-Minute Rule, which is basically everything I learned about pitching and selling television applied to every form of communication. And I found that just so much more rewarding and just it it drives me because it's like I get to actually help people. I get to be involved. It's not about what like what you can do for me. It's 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 a now what I can do for you. And that's just a new it's a new thing for me. And I'm just in love with that process. Mm -hmm. And TV became about making widgets for me. Mm -hmm. It's like I've made a bunch of TV. I have a 
a bunch of pages on IMDb. Like I'm not like, that's not moving the needle for me anymore. And at some point, you know, the, the TV is a lucrative business, but even that becomes like, well, I like now what am I doing? Like you, you can only do that so long. You can only chase the paycheck for so long to you're like, what am I doing? And this just gave me such a different avenue to use those skills. Sure. And it's been like super rewarding in that sense. What can I do with all this knowledge and momentum I've collected? Yeah. Eh, the money's good and the fame's good and I kind of had that. And now what else yeah. can I do? Yeah. Yeah. Coming up, uh, we're going to hear from Brant about his book, The Three Minute Rule, uh, and, and learn both about the book itself and what people can take away from it that they can apply towards the way they think about content creation. But first... As is tradition on this show, our guests are often kind enough to take the time to bring a snack for all of us to share. It's a chance to break bread, a chance maybe to learn a little something about them uh, by what they've decided to bring. You never know. I definitely see a bag on the table. I yes. was told to get plates. <laughs> There's plates now. So the this is the moment we uncover the mystery of what is Brant's snack. Okay. So I'm Canadian. Oh, oh Dude, okay. where's the A? Yeah, well, it's, I've been I've been out of Canada for long enough uh, that I try to I try to keep yeah. that hidden. Um, it comes out once in a while. So, in Canada, we have something called Tim Hortons. Oh yeah, we have yeah, them here too. Yeah. yeah, Tim Hortons very popular in Canada. It's sort of a thing here. Um, I, I say, do they even have them in New York? There, there is, yeah. There's, there's. Is there one in New York? Okay, or ones in New York? Okay. It's over by Penn Station. There is one. Okay. So anyway, sorry. Yes. So, the Tim Hortons sort of donut is. Just oh, like classic iconic. Canadian, you can't get away from it. It's part of our, like it's part of my DNA. There's probably still some in me from my childhood circling around in my bloodstream. So uh, I brought a Tim Hortons donut wrapped in a completely different wrapper because I couldn't get to Tim Hortons before I came here because <laughs> 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 I didn't know there was one in New York. I looked at it and things. Oh, that that's one. awesome! So you yeah. you you brought it with you? Yes. That's that's amazing. There that's great. Go. Thank you. So, uh, well, appreciate this. So let's break out some did that Tim go Hortons customs. Donuts. Yeah, of course. No, <laughs> no, I don't live in Canada I'm now. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> as soon as I say I'm Canadian, they're like, "Oh, so you're heading back across the border?" It's like, no, I, I came from Canada as a kid. It's a different thing. Well, appreciate it. All right, yeah. well, let's uh, let's dive into a little Tim Hortons, and uh, uh, up next we'll we'll dive into the book as well. Yeah. If you like funny people talking, I think maybe you should check us out. That's Elsie, the producer for Funny People Talking. I'm Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts. And also with me is... Danielle, I'm one of the other hosts. And you know what, Elsie? I actually think you're a funny person. And on the show, you do talk. So it really lives up to its name. So if you love great interviews that have a lot of heart, improv comedy, and just a really fun discussion, you should check out the podcast Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network and wherever the best podcasts are found. Because I think this is one of the best podcasts, don't you, Elsie? Well, duh. What about you, Danielle? Well, duh. And what about you, all the listeners out there? So you must believe all these people. We don't lie at all. But we are funny. Listen to Funny People Talking every Monday and really anytime. It's a podcast. Yeah, and we don't lie. (laughs) 
Let's talk about your book. The three. Wait, I want to talk about the donuts. Oh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Rich. I just want a moment just to say, Brava. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good awesome. Time. I was just saying we don't eat enough donuts in life. Yes. Yeah. Why not? Why don't we do that? Do you know what the three minute rule did not apply to? Yeah. How long it took me to, to eat my donut? <laughs> exactly. Okay. The three donut rule. Yeah. The minute. We should <laughs> be, we, why don't we eat more donuts though as adults? I mean, listen, it's just you lose that sort of free thinking. I can eat anything I want with no consequence. Once you lose that, you lose donuts. Oh, that's <laughs> very, very, very true. Um, All right, Ritesh, go ahead, man. But that said, I still try to eat as many donuts as I can. Um, so let's talk about your book because um, – you know, the three-minute rule. Give me – what is the three-minute rule? Three-minute rule says that everything about your business, product, or service must be conveyed clearly, concisely, and accurately in three minutes or less. And in those first three minutes, you have to be able to capture and maintain your audience's attention. Illustrate plainly the value that you're offering and most importantly, create engagement. And if you can't do that in those first three minutes and a lot of times even shorter – you will lose your audience and you will not be able to get all of your valuable information to them before they start making a decision. And like I say to everybody and everybody watching, you know you've had someone to come pitch or present or ask you to do something and that yes or no is already formed in your head mm -hmm. in the first 30 seconds, 15 seconds, 10 seconds, right? And so what the three-minute rule does is it helps you elongate that decision-making process by using information in storytelling processes the way a Hollywood story writer would do. So you lead your audience piece by piece so that you can get as much valuable information in before they make that decision whether they want to engage or not. And if you do it right, you can get it to about three. You can extend it to almost three minutes long. And that's like a Herculean feat miracle if you can get someone to listen to it for that Do you long. know Dr. Paul Zak? I don't. We should I do now. Uh, well, we should connect to you. I'm going to send you a link to an interview that Ritesh did on this show some time ago where he, he touches on that general concept of uh, how your your mind works and connects oh, yeah. with content and how soon it engages and when it disengages and those uh, amongst other things. A fascinating, fascinating interview, uh, Ritesh. But but I, I could see where there would be a lot of alignment and you guys yeah. should, should know each well, other. There there is a lot of science behind it, right? Like it's not like, oh, hey, let me just show you how to make it shorter, right? Yes, that's a big part of it for a lot of people. That's the first step. But there's a lot of science to what we call approach motivation, right? And that's what advertising studies, the Journal of Emotion, Motivation and Personality studies this. It's basically like what makes consumers or people driven to engage. Mm -hmm. And for the last 50 years we've been studying it, we, used to, we really believe the idea that whatever you focus on you're going to desire, right? And that's their whole thing that it was always this state and prove method. I'm going to show you something spectacular that you want and then I'll explain it to you how you can get it and why you want it. And, yes. and we started making these huge promises. I could make you 10 times your money in, by the end of the year. Are you interested? And, and you, the theory was somebody would lean in and be like, ooh, tell me more. But today it's the total opposite. If someone makes some giant claim you're poking holes in it instantly. Mm -hmm. Why do you think we do that? Um, it's because the state and prove method of advertising had diminishing returns. And so what happened is you had to make bigger claims and you had fewer results. And then bigger claims is the only way we could get people to pay attention. It's so funny because I used to do this thing in my keynote about clickbait and how clickbait works. And I now I can't even do it anymore because nobody even falls for clickbait anymore. Yeah. We know it so well now when we see a headline or we see some promise in the thing, we don't even bother clicking on it anymore. 
And it's because we're so skeptical. We're a hypersensitive audience. And so what I teach We're a more is, educated audience, too. Yeah, and they people do believe because there's a cool Microsoft study that has, you know, the idea that your attention span is down to less than a goldfish at eight seconds. Yeah. And a lot of people believe, and sometimes I'll get clients that think this, that it's the smartphones and the social media has dumbed us all down and we're these mindless zombies that can't focus. And it's actually the total opposite. We focus more intensely and more efficiently than ever before. Totally agree. And if I get, if you, if I give you my attention, mm-hmm. I want results right now. I want the information I want right at this moment. I don't want your mandarin ideas. I don't want a bunch of promises. You can't, I just want to know what it is. And that system of trying to like undo that is where I really came up in the three minute rule, which is like in, in Hollywood, we use the inform and lead method. I tell you about the character. I tell you about what they're going through. I show you the, the difficulties and then I bring you along to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. You can watch a show like CSI or one of these ones that you can never turn off. Once you start watching, you know how it's going to end. Everybody knew the Titanic was going to sink, but you sat in that theater for three hours without touching your phone, without talking to your neighbors in the dark, because the story leads you to that moment Mm -hmm. and you want it to end like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And being able to use that storytelling technique as a brand, as a content creator, Mm -hmm. as somebody who's trying to communicate with anybody, we, we now gravitate towards that. I just want to know what is it? How does it work? Great. Like that's, that's the first question that I built the whole thing around what I call the whack method, which is four questions. What is it? How does it work? Are you sure? And can you do that? And it's because I know that when you hear somebody jibber jabbering Mm -hmm. and going too long, you're like, could you just tell me what this is? Like, okay, can we just get how this works? Like it's what your brain is Mm -hmm. saying, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. got that. Now, are you sure you could actually do this? Great. All right. How do we work together? Like that's kind of all you want. And so if you mimic your pitch or presentation to fit that narrative that they that people, that rationalization story, I call it, you'll find that that it actually resonates with them. You can say less and get more, hence the title of the book. I love everything you're throwing out there because I would I, I think creating that tension that makes people want to lean in, people don't pick pick up on that. And I've definitely seen that work as a digital in the digital. In terms of the three minute rule, how did you get it down to three minutes? And like, how did you define, like, it needs to be three minutes. You need to, you have this, yeah. this, arb- this, this arbitrary number, but, uh, which I'm, I know, was, I'm sure yeah. you're going to tell us why it's not arbitrary. Um, so yeah. How did you get down? How did you figure that out? Well, it really started with, you know, I've sold hundreds of TV projects, pitched thousands of TV projects, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and shows and never pitched a show that was longer than three minutes in the tape, in the pitch tape ever. Never had a pitch tape go out, ever. Your, your pitch tapes were always only three minutes? Always. Wow. Everything. Every single one. And you can ask pretty well any network buyer. It's pretty well the standard now, and it has been for a while, because there is a natural resolution to our process. And we used to do it in the edit bay as well. And and you watch Shark Tank, and like by the time someone opens the door to walk down to the time the first shark says, I'm out, is almost exactly three minutes. Because we conceptualize first we have to understand what it is then we contextualize in like okay how would i relate to this what does it mean to me and then we actualize like okay i'm interested or i'm not interested and so conflict resolves that way in storytelling um decision making process will go like that if you're trying to make a big decision on something it's how we do things so that three minute sort of benchmark became that thing like hey if you can tell a really good story if you can lead your audience they won't they won't make that yes or no 
until three minutes is up. And that means you have time to get all of the biggest statements of value you have. So they understand your presentation, your business, your product, your service, the same way you do. Now in television, they still said no, right? Like I pitched thousands of shows. They always said no. That was kind of the business of television is everybody says no to everything you go out with. But you would never find a network president or anybody that worked at a network who would ever have left a meeting with me saying, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand the show. And that's sort of the value I bring to my clients now and people that I work with is like, I can't make people buy your widget, but I can absolutely guarantee they will understand what it is and why it's valuable. And for a lot of like complex companies, people are biotech companies, oil and gas exploration companies, like that's so foreign to them because nobody understands a damn thing they say. And it's like, I, I can make it so people understand, like it's still maybe not good, but, and I've had that happen where I'm working with a company. It's like, oh my God, like I can tell the story of your stock, but I'm thinking about shorting your stock right now because like, right. <laughs> you know, like it's a problem. Yikes. But wow. it's, it's really about making people understand it before they make the decision. Sitting down to write a book. What did you learn about the pro like, what did you learn about the process of writing a book? But then also you've now got to sit here and map out your process. You've yeah. Got to, you've got to outline and make it clear for yourself. Probably most of what you're doing is just intuitive to you, right? Like you didn't sit yeah. down and write it down and you're just doing it. When you sat down to map it all out, what did you learn about your own process? And, and if I may just piggyback another question to yeah. that, does the book follow the arc that you illustrate in yes. the presentation? So the book itself is one giant three-minute Yeah, even better, the intro to the book. It is a great, funny story. I think it's funny anyways. But um, so the average business book intro is about 14 pages long, yet the average reader of a book decides if they're going to read the book in four pages. Four pages takes you, if you want to guess, about three minutes to read, right? So I say, okay, great. I got a brilliant idea. I tell the publisher, because they always say, write the intro after you've written the whole book, right? Okay, I got a great idea. Tell them this story. Say, I'm going to write the intro to the book, four pages. It's going to be the exact process of pitching the book. It's right there, right? They're like, oh my God, that's fantastic. Wait till the book's done, then go write it. All right, so the book's done. Everybody's happy. Let's go write the intro. I'm like, oh, is it going to be good now? Uh -huh. So I get into it. My first pass, 11 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, uh -oh. that's okay. Yeah. I always I always go long first and I, yeah. and I and whittle then you down. Cut down. No that's problem. Rule of TV. Hey? So I say like, and I'm having trouble with it. So then I'm, I'm, I'm on vacation. I'm like, oh, I have all this time sitting on the beach. I'm going to crush this. <laughs> I edit it down. Seven and a half pages. Uh, of course. Okay. Uh, There's a problem. I go one more pass, six pages. Now I have to, I have to call the publisher and say, hey, is it pages? Can you give me the like the, the actual dimensions or is Can it words? Can we shrink the font? Yes. He's like, it's word count. doesn't matter how many pages. Oh, damn it. Uh, yeah. So there was a moment for like a day and a half where I started negotiating with myself saying, okay, well, this intro is so good. This information is so valuable and powerful it must be six pages long. It's okay to break my own rule yeah. for this particular moment because it's that good. And I realized, oh my God, you moron, you are falling into the exact same trap where it's about what I want to say and not what needs to be said. And it's really hard because it's like, I just wrote the book. So I had all of this information and it was so good and so beautifully written and like clever and I was just in love with it. So I, I was having trouble cutting it. And so 
I finally went back to the very core of what I do. And there's a picture of it in the book right now of me in my office with my post-it notes out, going through the whack method for my own intro for the book. And at the time I was so embarrassed by that. I didn't say directly that I was doing it for the intro. I say in the book, oh, I had to do it for the book to get the, to edit it down. When really like, what kind of, what kind of guy writes a book about a three minute rule and he can't even get his intro this way, right? But I finally got it down to the four pages. I was really happy. And what I didn't realize was, and I don't tell the story often, by the way, is that I was so in love with my information. It was so precious to me that I actually pushed some of the, some of what I thought was like the really good stuff to the beginning of the first chapter. Cause it was still sort of the same idea. It's theoretical. Hey, let me tell you about the world, like that kind of stuff. And I pushed it in the, fr- the first chapter. And when you're going through a book and it's 55,000 words, like, and you got to reread it a bunch of times, like you got to skip things. So I wasn't, wasn't paying attention to the first chapter all much. I'm kind of getting into it. Right. And it wasn't until after the first galleys, which are like rough copies that are sent around, went out. And one of my friends says, oh my God, you know, all books, great, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, you know, I I wish it would have started a little faster. The beginning was a little slow, but I really loved it. And I was like, a little slow. What are you talking about? So I went and reread it, which I hadn't reread it for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, this is complete trash. Like it's absolute (laughs) garbage. It is it is so pompous and wordy and repetitive and like everything I preach, I had just done to myself. And I literally called the publisher and I was like, hey, you got to pull this, these pages. And they're like, oh, it's typeset already. It's, it's going to be a thing. And I was like, you have to pull these pages or pull the entire chapter because it will, I'm like, you can't send it out like this. So he reread it and he's like, it's not bad. I understand what you're saying. It's repetitive. I'm like, uh, the entire book is about how to simplify your message, not to say things three times the mm-hmm. same way. Mm-hmm. So he did get them out. So I did get it cropped out, which thank, oh, thank God mm-hmm. I did that. But there are galley copies out there with a really crappy first chapter. Now, you may not think it's crappy, whatever. I know that that was... Then that's how difficult it is when you're in love with your information. When you live with your information mm-hmm. day to day, you kill every babies. every nuance feels so right. It's like the movie that you've seen 47 times. You know every director's move. You know the breadth of the characters and why it meant that. Every word and look. You 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 director's you, cut. You appreciate every second of it. But that's because you've watched it 47 that's times. That's right, right, right. And so that's been a really struggle for, for people. I want to hear – I do want to hear about his – your rule, your post-its. So tell me yeah. about – Yeah. Yeah, tell me about this. What is that? So I, what I normally have to do is the first thing I say to the client when I start – when I work with somebody is, okay, just stop talking. Like I've heard enough. You've been yammering on. That's the first thing they do is they want to tell me everything. Okay, great. Let's get to the core rules. And what happens is they've been living with the same information for years. I make them do this bullet point exercise and it's almost like how I would crack a show, like one or two words, just give me the bullet points. It's like podcast, New York, business content. Like you start going through them and we used to put them on post-it notes on the wall. And what's great about post-it notes or any form of sticky pad, 3M, since you're not paying me, I'm not continuing Mm -hmm, to do this mm -hmm. anymore. But what's great about post-it notes is there's a tactile nature to it. You see them, you move them, you grab them, you can reorder them, you cross them out. It's really good to see them. And what happens is, is when you use those post-its and you have these one or two word things, you can lay out your entire pitch, the entire presentation, the everything about the value about what you do in like 20, 25 bullet points. And there's a really cool exercise in the book and I do it with on stage and where it's like, I give you a show that you didn't make it to the air 
in 25 bullet points. You might not be in television, but you can read 25 bullet points and you could pitch me the show like you're a TV producer because it's so clear. And mm -hmm. I have another one where I give you like one of my clients, a plumbing company, like I don't even tell you what the business does or what they do. I just give you his bullet points. And it's like, okay, tell me the log line. Tell me what he does. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my God, I've been working so hard developing this. And it was, it's basically 25 bullet points. And it's once you get that, outline, yeah. Right? And once you get that, but it's, it's, it's the simple information. It's mm -hmm. just those words. Like it's a podcast. Like it's just the words. Mm -hmm. And now from there you go, okay, let's make these words into statements of value. Mm -hmm. And then you start to order them. That's when you put them through this whack method that I've developed where you're like, okay, does this statement tell you what it is or how it works? Or is it a fact or a figure or logic or a reason? Or is it about how they actually get it? Mm -hmm. And when you separate the information like that, it's like, ta-da, there's your pitch. Like, mm -hmm. that's what people want to hear. Oh, Brant, I feel like we just sat in a crash masterclass. Yeah. yeah I, I really like we've do. we scratched the surface, oh, too. Oh, my God, I know. Well, uh, read your book. I actually really am excited to read it. Yeah. Yeah, me um, too. Thank you very much. We're going to uh, take about three minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Probably not that long. And uh, and after that, um, we're going to talk a little bit less about content, a little less about books, a lot more about Brant the Human. Oh, I like him. Right after this. <laughs> Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entreprenistapodcast.com. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. All right, Brant. So right. let's get to know you a little bit more with a couple of questions. I would love to know you travel a crap load. Yes. So... In order, but but I see a, a, a what I believe to be a wedding ring on your finger. It is true. It is a wedding you, ring. May, may I ask you if you have any kids? I have three children. Okay. So what do you do to make sure? Uh, yes, we have telephones. We've got smartphones. We've got video platforms. All this stuff. What do you do to make sure that no matter where you go, you stay connected to your family in a way that has rhythm to it? That's an interesting question because I never thought of my personal life as a rhythm, but that's a really good description. I think that for me, I've always done it a little differently with my kids. Okay. It's been, if dad goes away, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm gone for a couple of days. I come back. 
Like, don't break the, the rhythm of your life because I'm away. I'm not coming back with toys or goodies or trinkets mm. to make a thing of it. Like, I just go, I come So and whether go. he was gone for eight hours or two days, yes. it's the same thing. You're it's not getting a thing. snow globe of New York, nope. of, of, of the nope. Statue of Liberty? No. no, I don't do that. No, no. Because it's like, I don't want it to be a thing when I'm away. And like... Now, the truth is, as the kids get older, they don't really notice if you're away. Like, I, my youngest is 14, so. Well, it's more like, God, you're back. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, it's more like, oh, you were gone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And we had that, my wife and I, when we were in Colorado with this, um, getting surgery, my wife had a back surgery. And and we were coming back from this appointment with the surgeon. And we said something in text to one of my kids. It was like, hey, uh, when we get back. And she's like, well, where are you guys? It's like, we're in Denver. <laughs> they're like oh okay it's like oh my god you know what I mean you're like so, I love you too how, yeah. how old are you kids I have almost 19 16 and 14 oh, wow. well, but but how could they have not known you were away for multiple days I mean it's like they know they just don't it doesn't impact it's, their lives <laughs> you know what I mean the same like, way when you're driving you go how did I go those three miles I don't remember right them. like they <laughs> just like they get up they do their thing they want to play on the computer they go to their phones like we're we're part of their lives but I also think it's because I was a very intense dad. Like I was very involved and having kids for me was a way to have, have wins in my life. Oh, that's cool. I could win at being a good parent. And as somebody who's like, like rather insecure mixed with a good help, helping of narcissism, it's like that ability to win and be important was really precious to me. So my kids are used to dad doing everything and crazy adventures and fun stuff and always in their life. So it's created this sort of like strange familiarity, that kind of stuff. So it's not as special. It's starting to come back now, which is really nice because I mean, my daughter was like, you know, she went to camp this year and she said, as she was talking about the things she's done and like, oh yeah, well, my dad took me archery shooting years. Yeah. I've roped, you know, I've rock climbed millions. Oh, I have a kayak. Like, and she said like, Oh my God. And we were at, at, picked her up at camp. She's like, I just, I realized as I was talking to these people about the adventures we've been on, I was like, I have the coolest dad in the world. And oh, I didn't even wow. realize it. And I was just like, Oh my God. Mm. Like it was all worth it. Sort mm-hmm. of almost, <laughs> you know, for that day. So it was just like, so my rhythm with my family is like, I try to just, if I'm traveling, I just go and like, I come back, I just come back. And when I'm there, it's dad is on, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I'm gone, dad's off. And it's just like, it, it seems to fit. When you, um, what made you get into this? What made you like sell, want to sell your first show? Like what made you, what drove you to this? I mean, that, the how I got into TV was really by accident. You know, I just like, I was a failed entrepreneur, 15, 17, 25 different businesses. Some of them worked and some of them didn't work. And I never found my place because it was in Canada. And then I had an idea for a show, couldn't sell it in Canada was able to get some traction in the United States. And within within six months of living in the US, I already had more friends, more connections, more people I was genuinely interested in and definitely more people who were interested in me than I had in 30 years in Canada. And it was like, I was finally home. Like the United States is where I belonged. It was what I was supposed, where I was supposed to be. And like every day in this country got better for me. And it's like, I'm so appreciative to it and I love it so much. And it's just like, I love television because I was good at it. I finally found something I was good at and I was being rewarded for. We've spent a lot of time talking about your successes. And as you know, as a content maker, this is the first time we've talked about a vulnerability and a failure. It's great to hear that somebody so successful was born out of a bunch of failures. So what did you learn in these setbacks and in these sort of 
failures and shortcomings, like what did you take away and how did that sort of lead to then success? You know, it, listen, you could go with the cliches that every failure is a learning thing. And yeah, I guess that makes sense. But it's more the emotion that you take with it. Now, I got fired from a big job at TLC running TLC and it was devastating because it just – I was number 14 on the power list in Hollywood and then I was number 1,400 the next morning, right? It's not your phone sheet with all the fancy people on it. It's the phone sheet that goes with the job, right? And so when you get fired, you're just like, what did I do wrong? And then someone cancels lunch and you're like, oh my God, are they canceling lunch because they don't like me anymore? And like, will I ever get a job? And all these ridiculous things that go through your mind. So what failure teaches you only works if you rebound. Because what you really want to learn is like, oh, it's just your perception of the situation. It's not really how people think of you. It's what you think that they think that you think they think. It's like it's, it's this twisted mindset that your brain wants to play tricks on you. And what the failures teach you is that like, oh, you can come back from this. Statistically speaking, you are going to be better and wiser and more successful year after year. If something doesn't work, like you will learn from it. Not actually learning from it in the time. That's almost impossible to do because you're miserable and you're upset. But to understand that you will learn from this in the future, it will get better. You will have another crack at it. People will still trust you. Is it, The earlier you can learn that in your life, the more apt you are to deal with failure better because you'll believe that it's going to work out because it always works out. Yeah, that's great advice. So you, you, you shared so many... Um, knowledge bombs with us in this in these in these in this short time we've had yeah, insert sound it's been Boom. fantastic and it shows me <laughs> and and for the for our listeners i want to tell you you know we're not being paid to do this by brand we do no obligation to promote the book or anything like that it's true but but it seems to me that like i'm eager to read the book because i figure even in just the first few minutes we had both ritesh and i were deeply enlightened with with ways of thinking about things that we we hadn't before. And I'm like, gosh, what if I read a whole book? Oh, yeah. From you? you know what buddy. I mean? Okay. That said, yes. as you reflect on the conversation yeah. and the work that you do, what could you share that connects at least loosely with the idea of content as maybe a final thought or a parting shot of wisdom that, as we end our time? So here's what I think it would be great if people really understood is that we're getting pulled towards what content is, how content is delivered. It's like a current and it's, it's leading us somewhere. We're all getting dragged into it. That's how we all got into social media. We all get into this. We all get into posting our own videos. Like what everybody's doing, we kind of feel like we got to be part of that. And what's happening now is people are shouting so loud about what they have, what they offer, what they want, what they provide. Like it's just, it's this shouting match. It's like, it's like Walmart on Black Friday yeah. at the door. Yes, all the time. So what do you feel like? You got to start getting in there and banging it out, right? And that's what, that's what everybody feels right now. And, and I get it. But there's a great analogy I use on stage, which is like in the turn of the century, Niagara Falls froze. Yeah. Okay. And the residents, the 5,000 residents of Niagara were jarred out of their sleep at three in the morning when it froze because it stopped the raging torrent of water pouring over that falls was noise to them that they had just tuned in. It was just part of their lives. And when it stopped, the silence of those falls stopping was the loudest sound they had heard in years. 
And today, with everybody shouting, with everybody trying to make bigger promises, with everybody trying to hook you right away and make things happen, I'm telling you, someone who can simplify their information, who says less, who uses less words, is it resonates. And you don't have to try to outshout everybody. You, you will get heard more clearly, more often, by actually saying less, by going against that grain because marketing and promotion and social media is a Niagara Falls of noise right now. And if you go the opposite direction, that confidence, like it's like another vibration that people are like, whoa, what just happened here? And like that's the parting thing like with content is like you don't have to try to outdo everybody because it's like you don't want to be in that race. The, the synapses in my brain are like opening, like like I just had like you know something opening my arteries. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm thinking about so many things right now, and I, I love appreciate that. it so much. Thank you. Uh, oh, by the way, this is why I don't do television anymore because it's like this is just like I, this is what I want to do every day. Yeah, I just want to work with people. I just want to like I just want to do this all day. It's cool. Right. I love it, man. Uh, there's going to be people out there listening to this that are say, I need more Brant. Yeah. Baby. How do they follow you? How do they connect with you? How I'm do they e- buy your I'm book? I'm definitely easy things? to find. I'm at Brant Pinvidic on all the social networks. Or you can go to 3minuterule.com and there's a whole bunch of fun things to do. And I interact with everybody. There's no click funnels in my world. I will never have a click funnel. I don't need your email. You want to subscribe and hear more of me? That's great. You can put in a fake email if you want. I don't care. I don't do lists. I don't do any of that stuff. I like people. I'd like to help people. I'd love to hear what your listeners are trying to pitch or present. I love their thoughts in the book. Like I'm, I'm easy to connect to. So for the, for the most part, (laughs) I, and like I say in the book, I'll read anything. I'll respond to anything as long as it's less than three minutes. That's it. That's it. Uh, that's awesome, man. Thank you very, very much. Uh, it was so great of you to take time in your visit to be with us. Share donuts. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon. It was really such a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Uh, that's it, everybody, for this really just insightful, outstanding episode, I think, of Content is Your Business. Really appreciate you listening. It means a lot to us every week. I'm Mark Rako for Ritesh Gupta. Thanks for being here. Right on, brother. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Content is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.